Good to see you. Good to be with you in person. And thank you to those of you guys who have joined in on uh, Facebook Live or, or digitally, virtually. It is just great to be together. Uh, I get to take this off. Sorry, some of you don't, but <laughs> it's hard to teach with that on. And uh, yeah, I'm just glad to be together. Happy Father's Day. Any fathers here this morning? Yeah, we got a few. All right. Happy Father's Day. Uh, some of you that know my wife Katie and I uh, may know that we had uh, a little baby girl uh, this last uh, month, baby Zoe Renee. So I'm now a father of three, which has been really fun. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Really exciting. And uh, she is amazing. We decided not to find out what we were going to have until the baby was born. And so the delivery was super special and really exciting. Uh, we have two boys uh, before Zoe. And so it's just a blessing to be a father. Uh, it's a, a, a challenge. It's an incredible um, privilege, and uh, it's just it's an honor to be a dad. And I'm so thankful for my dad, uh, Rick Lamas, who uh, my dad and Katie's uh, parents, my parents and Katie's parents got to come spend time with us uh, during this time after the baby was born, and just continual reminder of how thankful for I am for my father as well as my father-in-law and the role that they have, they have in my life, um, just their generosity, their kindness. Um, so huge shout-out to all the dads. Happy Father's Day. And uh, glad that we can just be together um, to worship this morning in person and, and virtually, to look at God's Word, um, to continue this series through Psalms. Um, we're teaching on it on Sundays, but there's also additional readings, kind of a chapter a day through Psalms as well, and just encourage you to participate in that. And we're continuing really through this theme, this theme of deliverance, finding refuge in God. Um, it's been a theme last few months, or a few weeks, and, and going to continue today. And so we're going to be in Psalm 57, if you have a Bible. Uh, today's kind of theme or the title, I was trying to work on different titles, so it ended up kind of long because I didn't feel like I could fit it in in a short title, but it's Responding to Injustice by Finding Refuge in God, which seems like an appropriate uh, topic for us in, in, in light of our world today and a lot that's going on. So I'm um, just excited to, to get into God's word with you guys this morning. Um, I have a timer here I'm going to be referring back to. Got to be efficient this morning. So hopefully I don't talk too fast and we can cover what the Lord has for us today. Um, Psalm 57 is written by David, and we'll talk about the context more in a little bit, but it's written at a time when he's fleeing from Saul. Uh, uh, he was, you know, uh, basically falsely accused. He was running from Saul uh, as Saul was jealous and angry with David as, as Saul started to lose God's blessing and it started to go on to David. And so he's fleeing and he's hiding, and that's kind of the, some of the context of this passage and we're going to look at how David responded um, to injustice that was going on. And we'll ask the question, how did David respond to this injustice from Saul that was, you know, threatening his life? Um, how, how did he respond? What was his response? And what are some applications or examples that we can take away from that uh, as well? So Psalm 57, um, it's interesting in some of the Psalms, it has little almost headers or notes that are in the scriptures uh, kind of to help with context a little bit. And this one, Psalm 57 it says, um, a mictum of David when he fled Saul in the cave. So let me read it, then I'll pray, and we'll unpack it this morning. It says, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth 
are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul has bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Father God, we just thank you for your word, for the scriptures. We see here in this passage, David crying out to you, God, in a place of uncertainty, in a place of fear, um, in a place where his, his life was being threatened. And yet, Lord, he looked to you, he cried out to you, and he found hope and he found strength in you. And Lord, in our world today, there's uncertainty, there's chaos, there's injustice, there's hurt, there's pain, and we thank you that you're a God who is sovereign, a God who is in control, a God who we can look to and find hope, find stability, find refuge, find deliverance. And so, Lord, we pray that you would meet with us this morning, wherever um, we are at, those who are here gathered, those who are watching online, Lord, I just pray that you would meet us where we're at and that you would show yourself strong, uh, that you would be our Redeemer, our Savior, our Lord. Uh, We thank you, Lord, for your love for us, your faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So pretty beautiful passage, uh, David here, you know, crying out to God and, you know, have mercy on me, Lord, and he's crying out to God and he's seeking God's Deliverance, he's seeking God's strength in the midst of this difficult time. Uh, If you do get a read in the Psalms this week, um, there's a a consistent theme uh, as you go through of God being our refuge or the rock, being our shelter, that God is stable, that he's a deliverer. Um, In chapter 61, which is again in this week, verses 2 and 3, it says, Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against my enemy. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Um, we know, you know, the illustrations of the Old Testament and the New Testament of Jesus being the rock, being our foundation. We have the little kids' uh, stories and parables we read to our boys with a song and a, and a book about building your house upon the rock rather than the sand. That God is a rock that we can find refuge in, that he is strong uh, in the midst of a storm and chaos around us. And again, some of these themes that I'll be getting to teach on this morning, um, kind of build and, and are consistent with things that we've looked at past week. And we'll go a little bit deeper specifically with this story and this circumstance uh, of David and the history of David's life fleeing from Saul. So that's what we're looking at uh, this, this morning. And, you know, in here, David is crying out to God. He's saying, have mercy on me. He says, you are my refuge. He makes proclamations about God's character and God's faithfulness. Save me, deliver me, defeat my enemies. And we'll come back to that in a little bit. But first, I want to just take our attention to what was happening at this time in David's life, which I think will give context to this passage a little bit more. And so as you know, David grew up uh, as the youngest, I think, of seven brothers. He had a lot of of older brothers. Um, We know the story about him defeating Goliath. But prior to that, he was was really a a shepherd. And he would take care of sheep, and he would fight off wild beasts. And it's interesting, if you ever had the chance to go, I know some in our church went to Israel this past year. I've had the chance to be in Israel twice. And in Bethlehem, it talks about that you can go and visit what are called the shepherd's caves. And there are these places, you know, we think about a shepherd of modern day with a pen and sheep kind of in there. But in the shepherd's caves, it was actually these, 
I don't know if it's limestone, but it's these rock structures that you can actually kind of scrape away at and dig out. And, and the sheep would go in these small openings and be in the shade or be in a protected area from wild beasts. And the, the, the shepherd would often just be at the, the door to that. And so David was used to in his life kind of finding refuge with his sheep in caves or in these places um, to, 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 to find shelter from the elements and from um, animals that would attack and so on. And so now, even though he's much older in his life, probably in his 20s, he's, he's at a place where he's back in these caves hiding or, or fleeing, but potentially to a place that would have been familiar with, with him, uh, to familiar, familiar to him. And you have a situation where Saul is king, the first king of Israel, and he is, um, has now become a father-in-law to David. Um, there's a lot we can learn good things from fathers and things that we can learn not to do from, from some fathers. Saul will give us some examples of things that not to kind of dad that you want to want to be or emulate in some of these examples. But David eventually married Michal, Saul's daughter. David was best friends with Jonathan, Jonathan Saul's son. And, and he would play the, the harp and lyre, you know, for, for Saul and comfort him. And he was a soldier at this time in David's life. He was a soldier. He was basically a special forces guy. He was, he was in the, the military of Israel fighting on behalf of, of, of the nation of Israel under Saul as king. And so he was very close to Saul. But Saul had disobeyed God. He had failed to fulfill and obey specifically the things and, and um, commands that God had given him to do. And because of that, he began to lose God's blessing. And through Samuel, it was prophesied, and Saul began to know that um, David would, would, would take over, and eventually David would be king. And this produced great uh, jealousy and anger and rage in Saul towards David. There's a story of David throwing his spear at, at sorry, Saul throwing his spear at David, and David is now on the run. He's fleeing. And it tells us the journeys that he went on. So 1 Samuel um, chapter 22 to 26 kind of uh, talk about these different things that are taking place. But a couple things to point out is that during this time, there are two instances where David had, was fleeing by himself, and then he started, people started to gather around him, and eventually he had about 400 men uh, and, and people with him kind of going around, soldiers helping him in this time. And they'd flee from different strongholds and cities and caves and so on. And Saul put together over 3,000 men, and he was pursuing him to all these different places, trying to hunt down David. And there became a point where David and his men are in a cave, and they're, they're uh, hiding, they're sheltering in this deep cave, and there's a lot of cave systems throughout uh, in the Engedi and, and Qumran, all these different places near the Dead Sea, and we don't know exactly which one this, this is, but he's hiding in this cave. And Saul, it says, is with his men traveling around trying to find him, and Saul comes to one of the caves, and it says that Saul goes in to relieve himself, or to rest, or to relieve himself, I think it says in the scriptures. And David, at this point, sees him and realizes this is an opportunity where I can confront, I can defeat, I can kill my oppressor. I can take justice in my hands, and I can end this injustice against me. But David shows restraint, and he says, I'm not going to attack the Lord's anointed. And he instead goes up, and he cuts off a piece of, of Saul's cloth off of his robe. And then eventually Saul leaves and he, David gets on, on top of a, a hill and he shouts out and he confronts David about this, or Saul about this injustice and he holds up the cloth and he says, look, I've, I've taken this from you. And it's this picture of David choosing to not take justice into his own hands in that instance. Um, I don't know exactly how that all worked out that he was able to go up and cut that off. Uh, Saul what is a dad, he's a father, he went to relieve himself, which means it probably took a while. Any of you know most men in your life are dads. Dad joke? I don't know. Okay. So, so he, might have had some, he might have had some time, you know, to, to cut this off. But, um, but you have this happen. And then there's another instance later on 
and Saul and his men are encamped in the, the valley, and David takes Abishai, one of his uh, best right-hand man's best warriors, and they go while everyone's sleeping, and they go and they sneak into the camp, and they are there outside of Saul's tent. And when they're there, they see um, Saul sleeping with a spear next to his head and a jug of water, and Abishai says this. Let me read, read it. Um, Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hands this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with a stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, do not destroy him, for who can put his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And so David says, no, stop. And they take the jug, they take the spear, and then again they confront David. Or, sorry, I keep saying, getting the names mixed up. They confront Saul about what happened. So Abishai, understandably, is saying, hey, look, I want to fight for justice on your behalf, David. Let me defeat Saul. And he says, no. Let's entrust this to the Lord. God will deal with him in his own way, in his own time, and it gives some examples of how God would eventually deal with him. We don't always get earthly justice, but God is sovereign, and he will bring about eternal justice, and we're called to look to him and to trust him. He will bring judgment and reward that is fair and accurate. He'll bring perfect justice. doesn't mean that we don't fight for earthly justice. We should, but we can have a peace knowing that God will bring ultimate justice. So looking back at this psalm, just, you know, you can see here this, this context that David is living in of this fear, this stress. He's running for his life. And he cries out to God, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merci- merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. This passage, this shadow of your wings, um, maybe you've seen, you know, images or here's a picture of a, a hen with her wings covering um, its, its chicks and protecting them. This picture of God's protection. It's actually a, a covenant illustration um, that even Ruth, and, and uh, there's, there's a lot that you could unpack about what this means to be in the shadow of your wings and, and the covenant between God and his people. But I heard an illustration, actually my father-in-law shared with me, um, it was either a children's story, there was, there was um, potentially an article in National Geographic, but it's a story of a situation where a fire had blown through an area and killed most all of the wildlife. And either the farmer or the, the, um, the ranger were walking through this kind of scorched area, this scorched earth, and it sees a baby bird, and they kind of begin to move it out of the way or, or knock it over, and out from under this scorched bird run all of these little chicks that were still alive. You have this image of this fire going through and this mother hen sacrificing her life for the sake of her chicks and spared them or saved them, that they were protected in the shelter um, of its wings. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge. Pretty beautiful image, right? How the Lord protects us even to sacrifice um, of himself. And so you have this situation where... um, David is looking to God for his protection. In uh, the next passage here, it says, He will send from heaven and save me. He will not put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out of his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp arrows. So he's just in this this time where he's under constant threat. And whether it's from beasts or people or soldiers, they're seeking to to end his life, to cause him pain, to trample on him. 
and he's crying out to God for help. He talks about that their tongues are sharp words. Uh, we live in a day and age where, although we may not um, face physical pain or, or hardship, um, as you do in other cultures, other places, uh, or persecution, maybe as Christians, um, people, <laughs> the words that people use and the way we use our words can be so destructive. In James, uh, there's a passage in James uh, where it says, but no human being uh, can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless the Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in, his li- in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. I remember a story of a man named uh, Brother uh, Yun. He was a pastor in China. And he would travel around and do ministry and preach, and God used him in powerful ways. But eventually, he ended up getting arrested. He was put in prison. He was tortured, and he endured horrible, horrible hardships um, throughout China. And eventually, he was released, and he was able to escape. He fled to the U.S., and he was here. And as he was here, he eventually wrote a book, and he began to do some ministry here and share his story. And there were Christian pastors or ministers or people that didn't agree maybe with his, exactly with his doctrine or his positions on certain things, and they would kind of attack him or write a critique or a polemic. And there's a passage in it, a part in his book where he talks about how the pain of the, the, the words and the criticisms from fellow believers was more painful or challenging to endure than the torture that he had received in China. And I mention that because we have to be careful with our words. It's very easy to want to, you know, get online and just rant or, or rave or say a bunch of things or, or shout your positions or criticize people, and we forget... Um, how, how hitting, hard-hitting, how painful those words uh, can be. And David was in a situation where there was physical threat to his life, but also false accusation and slander against him. We have a cancel culture, you know, a virtual mob, a Twitter mob that can come after anybody at any time, right, and use words to just tear people down. And it's not uh, what God wants for us or models for us. David says in verse 7, he says, My heart is steadfast. Um, oh God, my, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory, awake. O oh, harp and lyre, I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O oh Lord. Among the peoples, I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O oh God, above the heavens. Let your glory shine over the earth. So here we have a situation where David's response to this injustice and what's going on is he cries out to God, he, he pours out his heart, and he acknowledges all of these things that are going on against him, but then he turns his direction towards proclaiming God's character and towards worship. He says, my heart is steadfast. Even though he was in the midst of this chaos, he had a resolve to say, no, I know that what I'm doing is right, my cause is, is, is just, and he, he is steadfast, and he worships God. He says, um, and, and then not only that, he says, I will... Oh, Lord, I will worship you. I will give thanks, Lord. So he has gratitude in his heart. I will give thanks among the nations or amongst the people. I will sing praises to you among the nations. And he has this, even this vision, you know, for, for all people in the midst of this, this time of isolation and uncertainty. It made me think about revelation. We think about injustice in our world today. Um, and we're going to talk now a little bit about some application of, of this passage. Because we live in a time, it's, it's hard to study scripture and to uh, plan to teach God's word and to not think about a lot of the injustices that are going on in our world today and the, the riots and the protesting and the things that are, are, are taking place all around our world. 
um, the fight against um, police brutality and, and all that that's happening. And as I was thinking about this um, passage and thinking about um, David's you know, response, it just made me think about um, just some illustrations or things, applications, I think, for us in our world today. Um, one of them is here you see David talking about the nations. And we know that one day, Revelation 7, 9 talks about how people will come together from every tribe, tongue, and nation to worship God. There will be this unifying time when God will bring all people's faith to himself, and we will worship God, every tribe, tongue, and nation. There will be no divide over race or ethnicity or culture or these things. We will all come together to worship the Lord. It'll be beautiful. Um, in fact, the book, um, Woke Church, Eric Mason, he talks about that, this future vision and what that will look like when we can all come together and worship uh, to the Lord. I encourage you to maybe check that, that resource out or um, participating with Nick and Jill. It's pretty powerful. Um, as we've, as we've you know, all observed what's been happening you know, through social media, through the news, what's happening in our world, I'm sure you've seen things that maybe have inspired you and given you hope and, and challenged you of what the future could be and how things could change. And you've also, like me, probably seen a lot of things that are devastating and really sad and really tragic and really seemingly unnecessary. And the question, you know, kind of again arises, how uh, should we respond? And again, I mentioned David, how he had this restraint that even though there's this injustice against him, he chose to trust God rather than take justice into his own hands. One of the examples of a person that really inspired me kind of through this time, um, especially uh, with all the, the, the stuff that was going on around the death of, of George Floyd, um, is an example by his brother, uh, Terrence Floyd. Some of you may have seen this, maybe you haven't. Um, but Terrence Floyd is, was the brother of George Floyd. And, you know, if you can imagine anybody who felt the need to get justice when your family member has been wronged after he was, was killed by the police officer, Derek Chauvin, and so on. And within days of that, though, his brother gets up in the news. I think I have a picture or two. And he, he challenges the people in Minneapolis, and he responds, and he, he says this. Let me just read it to you. He says, I know you're upset, but I doubt you're half as upset as I am. I am not over here whiling out. I'm not over here blowing stuff up. I'm not over here messing up my community. What are y'all doing? What are y'all doing? You're doing nothing. You're doing nothing because that isn't going to bring my brother back at all. It may feel good in, uh, for a moment, but when you come down, you are going to wonder what you did. My family is a peaceful family. My family is God-fearing. Do this peacefully, please. I thought, wow, that's pretty powerful for somebody. If anybody had the right to be more upset than others or to riot or to, to act out, it would have been him. And yet he had this moral courage and this strength to say, wait, stop. We have to fight for justice, but we have to do it the right way, not by destroying property, destroying others' lives. Pretty powerful, right? You can go to the next one. You can just see, you know, this is a picture just of his grief, and yet he had that, that restraint. He said, we're a family of peace. We're God-fearing. To me, that was something that um, kind of inspired me through this time. So in wrapping it up, you know, there's a, um, a passage, if you go to the next one, where Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. In Romans 12, 19, it says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So when we look at David, we can see some ways that David acted honorably in his response 
to injustice against him by Saul and his army and his military and so on. But we also know that David is just a man, and there's many examples of his life where times where he, he sinned and he, he fell, and he wasn't really an example for us to follow. And ultimately, Jesus is our example. And we see in Jesus, in his response, you know, you think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane as the soldiers are coming to him. And P- Peter, like Abishai, trying to defend David, Peter steps up, takes out a sword, and chops the guy's ear, ear off, and Jesus says, stop. He shows restraint against his accusers. And so Peter, kind of, kind of like us sometimes, we want to fight for justice on behalf of others, and we maybe try to take things into our own hands or go about it the right way, the wrong way. Jesus says, stop. And you see it, it says in, um, in uh, Isaiah how he was, um, he was oppressed and afflicted. He did not open his mouth. He was quiet before his accusers. Now, there's a time when, it's, when we need to speak up and we need to fight for justice. But when things are being wrong to you, to look to the Lord and to trust in him and depend on him is, is what we see um, through Jesus' life. And Jesus is our ultimate example. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. And we see that in his life as well. So we see it in David, this restraint. We see it in Jesus. And I was inspired, like I said, in the example of Terence. So a few, few things, though, that we see in David's response, again, in, in closing. David puts his hope in the character and promises of God. David cries out to God for justice. And David demonstrates restraint in his protest against Saul. And David worshiped God with thanksgiving. Didn't have the time to really unpack more about the worship in this beautiful verse where it says that you will awake the dawn, that through worship brings light, and we can see clearly the nature, the character of God, his sovereignty, his future vision of what he's going to bring about on our behalf. And so David humbled himself, put his, hand, his, his circumstance, his life into God's hands. He entrusted justice to the Lord, and he worshiped God with thanksgiving, even in the midst of hardship, even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of this uncertainty. Micah 6.8 says, And what does the Lord require of you but that you do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with your God? I think from this we can take away that God is sovereign. He's the one that's going to bring ultimate justice. In the meantime, we still fight for justice on the earth, that God's kingdom would be established, but we do it in a way that honors him rather than trying to take things into our own hands. So, Psalms is really rich. It's hard, honestly, to teach you on it, especially a full chapter in a short period of time. But I encourage you to take the time, as, as we have more time right now, to continue to read, to meditate, to study, and to reflect on the nature and character of God. That like David, you would cry out to God, that you would worship him, that you would take time to meditate um, on his word, on his character, on his goodness. And whatever hardships you're facing or those around you are facing, that you would um, look to the Lord to be our redeemer, to be our hope, and to be the one who will lead and guide us through those times. Um, I'm going to invite worship to come back up. I'd like to close in prayer. Um, I want to acknowledge that I don't know things that you're going through or are facing. I have not faced many of the, the hardships and challenges that so many in our country and world are, but I know that God is good, that he is faithful, and that in the midst of hardship, in the midst of trial, he can be our refuge. He can be our source of strength. He can be the rock that is higher than I. Amen? Lord Jesus, we worship you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your kindness to us. And we thank you, God, that you are our refuge, that you are our strength, that you are our source of hope. 
and that we can trust in you in all things and at all times. We love you, Lord. We pray for justice in our world today. Uh, We pray for justice for those that are hurting, those that are suffering. We pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom to know how we are called to step in and to act, that we would have restraint where appropriate, that we would take action where needed. And Lord, that we would look to you and trust you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.